This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Hello and welcome to the Liverpool.com podcast. I'm your host, Mo Stewart, and I'm joined by James Martin. And I'm very pleased to say, making his Liverpool.com podcast debut is David Lynch, writer for Sunday Mirror and Sunday People. David, thank you for joining us. No, thanks. It's good to be here. Well, I'm glad to see you here. So we're going to put you to a good use. Since we've got a new edition, we might as well talk about additions of our own at Liverpool because this season's got a lot of excitement and action still to come. But it is the time of the year where minds start to talk to summer business. So we look at Liverpool squad at the moment and we think it looks brilliant. There's very little that's wrong with it. Klopp's had it, has never had it so good. But with every season, there is the expectation there will be some ins and there will be some outs. So we're going to look through the different areas of the squad, try to analyse what the plans are of Jurgen Klopp and the brand new sporting director, Julian Ward. So let's start at the back, as it's always nice to do. Goalkeeper and defence, we'll group them all together. James, I'll start with you because this one's probably quite an easy question. Uh, goalkeepers. It looks like the first and the second choices are nailed down with Allison and Creevy and Kelleher. Um, there had been some talk that he may seek um, more minutes elsewhere, but it looks like he's pretty happy being a cup keeper, which obviously then has a knock-on effect with the man who's currently third choice, Adrian. Expectation seems to be that Kelleher stays and Adrian goes. Is that kind of how you see it as well? Yeah, I think so. I mean, that's definitely the hope. You know, long longer term, if, if Kelleher is getting sort of itchy feet and wanting to play first choice somewhere, you couldn't blame him. From what we have seen of him at Liverpool, you'd say, you know, he probably has the quality to play for, well, a number of Premier League clubs. Um, but, you know, in terms of the international picture now, he's maybe getting more first choice in terms of Ireland. You know, him and Gavin Bazunu, who's on loan from City, are having a bit of a battle royale for that spot. But he's, he's edged ahead in a couple of games recently. So that's probably assuaged any doubts he's had over his club football a little bit. Um, and of course, yeah, being trusted in the League Cup, which ended in the best way possible, kind of hurt things in terms of how he views his Liverpool future. So yeah, I think I think Liverpool will get away with keeping him as a cup keeper for at least another season, um, which, as you say, basically settles the goalkeeper issue. Allison's, of course, not going anywhere. Um, so, yeah, like you say, that does just leave Adrian, who, yeah, you'd imagine his time might be up. You know, it's a third choice keeper at the end of the day. So if he's, if he's, you know, not asking for much, maybe they'll decide to keep him around. But he is he is taking up a slot, I believe, as a as a non homegrown player. So it probably makes sense to do a do a bit of a Man City, find a Scott Carson somewhere and uh and use them to fill the third slot. Well that's the interesting part, isn't it? It's the homegrown quota that has been so such a big issue for Liverpool over the last couple of years, David. And Adrian kind of felt like a bit of a safety blanket. It was almost as if we want to trust Kelleher, but we need him just in case we can't. I feel like this season's just gone as meant that we can officially trust him. And is it more likely that as um, rather than, as James says, looking for an older English keeper, that they might be looking for someone from the youth team to be me the third keeper? Because there is a great stable of young goalkeepers at the club already. Yeah, well, they've spoken a lot about that recently, about, you know, they want to turn it into a goalkeeping school and, and you know, the coaching setup they've got there and the amount of coaches they've got for goalkeepers is sort of unusual, really, isn't it? And I think a lot of that is to, the hope is that they can they can push more keepers through from the youth team. And I think, yeah, that's, that's probably going to be something they'll look to do because I think 
you know, the Adrian thing with him signing a new contract sort of came as a big surprise to people, I think, and, uh, uh, you know, me included, absolutely. Um, you know, you didn't really think, oh, well, what does that mean for Kobe and Kelleher? But there was never really any doubt in Liverpool's minds about who was the second choice. I think Kelleher already made that, made that, you know, stated his case beforehand and, and he was always going to be there. But to have Adrian as a, you know, willing to be the backup in that sense and, and to sort of give up any minutes just to, you know, be around the squad and be a, you know, be a help, be, be good in training, which is, you know, he's considered a good character around the squad as well. Um, it has been pretty important, I think. But I think you know now he's reaching the end of his deal. Yeah, it, it is time to sort of move move him on and and bring in someone who's you know maybe more suited to the style of play. I think that's been Adrian's downfall at Liverpool as well. You know, not not just having Kelleher has come in and, and taking his spot. I think primarily because of just how good he is with his feet. And I think Liverpool they need that, whether you're the second or the third choice keeper. So I think Liverpool will move towards that. And as you say, I think yeah. Getting someone through from the youth teams would probably be the uh, the ideal situation. Not least because you don't have to spend any money to do it. You know, it's the it's the smart business decision, and and yeah, to have someone who'd be more suited to the style of play coming in, even if they are just a third choice goalkeeper for now, it'd be nice to know that if Kelleher gets an injury and you really want to give Allison a rest, you can have someone who's a really good fit for what they want to do back there. Yeah, and I think that's the thing, isn't it? It's like you can afford to take a little bit of risk if you trust that this person knows the system, so that can kind of meter against any any experience but for adrian i know that he's obviously split opinion with some liverpool fans but as someone who was in istanbul to see him in that penalty shootout in the super cup final he leaves with my good graces at the very least now we were mentioning the homegrown quota there james and we should talk about a couple of homegrown defenders who have been reportedly unhappy with the amount of minutes that they've had so far in the last couple of seasons. That's Nico Williams and Joe Gomez. Now, it is slightly different scenarios for both. We'll start with Nico. He's obviously riding the crest of a wave, having just got promoted with Fulham. Um, Do you think that there's any scope for him now that Fulham are going to be in the Premier League, maybe remaining there for a season? We've obviously got a good relationship with them through the deal from Fabio Carvalho, which has been done very amicably considering how it almost fell apart at the end of the deadline day. Do you see this as a move that might suit everybody? I think they're definitely a plausible destination for him, whether that's another loan or, or a permanent destination sort of remains to be seen. But the, the motivation for Liverpool to sanction another loan is quite hard to see in the sense that when he comes back, nothing will have changed at Liverpool. Trent Alexander-Arnold is still going to be the undisputed first choice. So, I think if we do see Williams leave, it will probably be a permanent transfer. And, you know, he's done his case no harm in terms of Fulham maybe wanting to use that that newfound Premier League money to, to make the switch permanent. Um, the thing with Liverpool, you know, they can do what they did last summer and set and, and in January and set a price. We saw it with Nat Phillips. If no one meets the price mm-hmm. that they want, then they won't necessarily sell. They're in a strong position contract-wise with Nico Williams. So I don't think it's necessarily as much of a foregone conclusion as maybe it's been presumed. But... If Fulham's dump up a fair price, I could easily see him moving on. Of course, that then leaves the question of, of who's covering. I think the next homegrown player who you might mention could be involved there in terms of Joe Gomez. He's had some minutes at right back. Connor Bradley's coming through. There's some hopes for him. But whether that it also means maybe a foray into the transfer market for someone who can play right back, it, it's very possible. Mm. It is an interesting point, though, isn't it, Dave? Because it appears that these two are actually now fighting for the same spot almost, because uh, Gomez has fallen down the pecking order in terms of centre-backs. 
But in recent this season, when he's played at right back in the last couple of months, he's looked a much improved player than the, at that position than he had been previously. Has this been something that he's been working on behind the scenes, being him a more viable option there? And do you think that that's going to help him maybe get the minutes that he wants at Liverpool rather than looking elsewhere? Yeah, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because I think, you know, as you say, there was a noticeable sort of improvement in him in, in terms of his ability on the ball in, 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 you know, situations where, you know, putting into almost Trent Alexander-Arnold-like crosses from the right-hand side, which is, you know, definitely not something you associate with him previously, where he's probably thought of himself as a, you know, nailed-on centre-half and that's where he wants to play. So, the, you know, the fact that he's shown that improvement sort of suggests that he thinks that, yeah, that's a, that's a potential way into the team. But, you know... Whether he'll be happy with that going into next season, I, I really don't know. It, you know, we know he's a good character. He hasn't kicked up a fuss. He, he he gets his head down in training. He's popular amongst the players. But at the end of the day, even if he can get himself some minutes at right back and you know occasionally at centre half, it's still probably not enough because you know, say the big games come around, the big weeks come around like this. You know, you've got a, a Champions League semi final. You know. No matter how much of a you know a, a nice guy you are and a, a great footballer, part of a great squad that's challenging for for big honours, you want to be on the team sheet. Uh, you know, there's no doubt about it. Especially if you Joe Gomez, you're you're a centre half who essentially was a key part of a Premier League winning team at such a young age, and you know played his played his part in the the run in the Champions League this season before before injury struck as well. So you know he's got every reason to believe that he should be part of the you know part of a team that wins things, and and uh, it's a difficult one. I, I just think. I don't think Liverpool are going into this summer thinking, yes, we will sell him, we, we want to get rid. But I, I do think if offers come in, some difficult decisions will have to be made. And I think it will often be player-driven as well. It's similar to Nico in the sense that, you know, last summer, I remember it, Liverpool, basically, if, if, if an offer around 10 to 12 million had come in, Liverpool would have been happy to sell. And I think Nico would have been happy to go as well. And I think that would be the same this time around, especially because he's impressed at Fulham. So Joe Gomez is probably going to be in a similar boat. If an offer, I don't know what that figure is, but if an offer comes in that, that reaches Liverpool's valuation, I think they would probably be happy to let the player go if he wanted to leave because they're not the sort of club who keeps people around just to have the numbers. They want, you know, they, they want their players to be happy to be there. So, you know, that one will be dictated really by, by how the market is, I think. That's the point, isn't it? It's the because <clears throat> when we speak about Joe Gomez, James, a lot of the time we're speaking about his England ambitions and that World Cup in a few months is looming large on the horizon. And you look at the England centre backs at the moment, and I'm not going to name them. We all know who they are. Most of them have been struggling all season long. So there's a real space for him to go and stake his rightful place. And it might be that that is the tipping point. Because as Dave has mentioned, although the club will be desperate to keep him, we've seen in the past Klopp does not stand in the way of someone who wants to go away and play more minutes. Yeah, it's a tricky one. The England issue gets mentioned a lot. If that is pressing on his mind, he's not left himself long. Um, even with a summer move, it's a big ask. We know Southgate is quite loyal to his existing group of players. So for him to offset one of the existing favourites in the space of a few months would be a test. But like you say, it, if there's any position where that's possible, it's centre-back. There have been some struggles for the, the existing crop. So he probably will still be targeting it, even if it's an ambitious target. And yeah, it's it's hard to see how he could meet that target staying at Liverpool. We've seen Klopp try and almost put the pressure on in press conferences saying, I don't know why Gomez isn't being selected, but it, you know, it's not reaped any rewards. Southgate's unmoved. Um, so yeah, I, I think probably that, that will still be on his mind, whether 
whether he makes the squad, I think it's a long shot, even if he gets the move, but it, it may potentially be the tipping point. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. It always makes me laugh when Klopp says that, by the way, because it's like Southgate could just turn around and say the same to you, you know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but because Southgate's a nice guy, he never does. To be so, fair, I think it's more that, uh, you know, Gareth Southgate doesn't have Virgil van Dijk to select it at centre-half, <laughs> to be fair. That is true, and I'm sure he would if he had uh, in a heartbeat. So in the, in, the, um, in the scenario where both of these players leave, which I believe is still a life scenario, there have been some tentative links already with backup right-backs, David. Uh, we've heard about Calvin Ramsey at Aberdeen and uh, Glyson Bremer over in Torino, who's more of a kind of centre-back, right-back hybrid. Hybrid. Obviously, as you said, this is all dependent upon the player's decision. The guys who are in situ have the first hand in that respect. But are these credible links? Do these look like the kind of players Liverpool would be interested in for a backup position? Yeah, so Liverpool aren't aren't denying any any interest in Ramsey at the moment. So I, I think that is, and you can tell. I think just looking at his sort of profile, he's the sort of player that they would generally like anyway. So I, I don't think that's a big surprise. The Bremer one, you know, I haven't heard anything personally, but I, obviously Neil Jones reported that, and I know his, his sources are impeccable, so it's it's definitely one to take seriously. And I think, you know, again, two sort of younger players, maybe di- different sort of age group, but still young enough to develop more. You know, st- they've got. Particularly with Bremer, the ability to play in multiple positions, I think that would always appeal. Um, and, and with Ramsey, he could come and have him as a right, a, a backup right back to Trent, and he's young enough that you know he maybe wasn't wouldn't expect loads of minutes throughout a season. You know, wouldn't make it difficult for the manager. But you know, you know, you could always put him in for League Cup games, or if Trent gets a little injury, you, you know, you've got the option there to slip him in. So, yeah, I think you know both both sort of credible links as far as I'm concerned, and. I think I think backup right back is is a big one for me this summer. I think it's one of the one of the real priorities. Even though you know the backup right back doesn't sound like it's an awful lot of minutes to fill in throughout a season, I think it's it's one area where Liverpool have generally over the last few years, you know, finding someone who can stand uh, step into Trent Alexander Arnold's shoes has, has not been particularly easy. So I think it's I'm not surprised to see names are surfacing now in that position because it it is one I think they finally need to sort particularly as. You look at what they did at left back in Simicast and and how good he's been for the squad. I think it's it's important to get someone of a similar profile if you can. I think that's right. I think everybody is looking for the right side of Simicast. That, yeah. that, because not only the the quality he's brought in, but the way he's actually elevated Robertson. I think a lot of people would say he's had a, a much improved season when he's got someone behind him. So if we can find that for Trent, happy days. Not that easy, though. <laughs> yeah. Now, I'll, I'll stick with you as we move into midfield, David, because um, I want to talk a little bit about James Milner. Um, he We heard in February that the club had offered him a new deal, reportedly, which came to the surprise of many because it kind of all felt like it was all kind of coming to the end. It felt like it was a almost unnatural end for him in terms of what we, when we've seen him in midfield this season, he's looked a little bit off the pace. It's almost as if sometimes you hear professionals talk about when they know that they're not at that level anymore. It almost feels like that conversation's having with Milner. But the trail's gone a bit quiet since. We've not heard whether he's accepted. We don't really know the nature of this deal. Have you heard anything or what's your, your, your instincts over whether or not he will sign? 
Yeah, I, I was sort of surprised by the stories about a uh, new contract being offered. Um, to be honest, I, I don't. I, I, you know, my understanding not not really likely that that, that would happen. To be honest, I, I don't expect him to sign a new contract. I'm maybe putting my neck on the line a little bit there, but I, I genuinely, I, I can't see that happening. I think, I think a clean break at the end of the season would be perfect. I think he's had a, a truly great Liverpool career, but I think you've seen this season that that maybe the, the legs are just starting to go a little bit. Still, it's still incredibly high quality player, by the way, who I think would do a job for someone in the Premier League. I'm, I'm thinking of one side in particular, uh, Leeds are the obvious uh, link there. But I think, you know, to do something like that would, would, would make sense for all parties. I think, you know, Liverpool are going to look at central midfield this summer. I think alongside backup right back is, is the number one priority for me is to, to strengthen, strengthen in the central, uh, central area. So I think with that happening, you know, you lose Milner there. Maybe do you, move Henderson into that experienced midfielder role of coming in and filling gaps from time to time and, you know, picking up the minutes that Milner did in, in his early seasons at the club. Um, I think that just makes too much sense for it not to happen really. And so I'd be very surprised if, if James Milner was to uh, go on and sign a new deal, to be honest. I think it's uh, maybe time for him to move on and, and and he would do so with, you know, Liverpool legend status, I think, secured with the role he's played in, in some of these recent successes. Yeah, 100%. I think the only threat to being the best free signing in Liverpool's history is Joel Matip. (laughs) He has been fantastic, James, and he will leave with all of our blessings. Um, One of his teammates alongside him in midfield, Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain, it's a slightly different scenario with him. Um, He's coming, he's going to have one year left on his deal. At the beginning of the season, both him and Naby Keita were said to be in a very crucial position playing for a new deal. It appears that Naby has been successful, but if you look by comparison, Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain's season has not been quite as good. And again, he's another one who there are reports that he's kind of unhappy with his lot at Liverpool at the moment. Would you be surprised to see him move on this summer? I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, sorry, David. Uh, yeah, oh, please go on. No, it's, it's one of them where I think it's another one where it's, it's a buyer-dictated market in terms of if the interest is there, I'd be surprised mm. if... If Liverpool said no to it again, if if the interest is sufficient, um, but yeah, equally I'm sure we'd be happy to keep him around for another season if no one came in with a reasonable bid. You know, he won't play much and he won't be happy with that. But yeah, it's if if there's no good bid that comes in, what you're going to do? He's going to have to he's going to have to stick out the contract. But you know, he has shown flashes when he has played, and you know, fitness has been less of an issue this season. So. You could see sides being potentially happy to take a punt on him. I know, um, I think it was last year, Arsenal was sort of tentatively linked to it. I think it was in the winter window last year. Uh, whether they've maybe evolved beyond that or, or whether they still fancy it, I don't know. But you'd think that, you know, it's, at some reasonable level, there'd be a club willing to take a chance on him and give him the minutes he wants. So, yeah, I do I do think that is a likely departure. Like you say, with Cater having having sort of nailed down that spot as the as the next in line in midfield and also having sorted out his own fitness issues, hopefully. Um, yeah, it, it does seem Oxlade-Chamberlain is uh, is maybe edging towards that kind of surplus requirements territory. He's, he's one of those I could see really sort of driving his own exit this summer because I think you have seen signs of, of him being un, unhappy in, in public in terms of, you know, when he's been substituted, sort of looking very frustrated. And, and it's understandable, by the way, because, you know, he's, he's not been getting the minutes. And then when he has been getting the minutes, he's maybe not been feeling that he's been playing as well as he, he might be able to. And, and, and I can understand that. And so I think, you know, it's one of those where... It, 
him and his agent will probably put their heads together and see if they can find a way out because I think you know I don't think his situation is going to get any better at Liverpool at the moment and you know it's it's a shame and I think his injury really sort of killed his momentum at Liverpool didn't it ultimately but I think if yeah if if you can find a, a good move out and I, and I think he should be able to you know a decent sized Premier League team would, would definitely be interested in a player of his calibre um, and if you can get regular minutes out of him you can get great football out of him so yeah, I, I think he's one of those who would maybe push for his exit and try and try and generate some interest in himself if he can um, coming into this summer to try and get his move away. It'll be interesting to see what the market is like for him because I feel like there will be quite a few midfielders moving around in the Premier League and maybe a, a West Ham or even a Leeds United who've lost one of their star midfielders might be the perfect place for him to go and uh, re-kickstart his uh, Premier League career again, as we saw with Jesse Lingard. Now, previously, when it came to Oxlade-Chamberlain, David, one of the things about him staying was he was another one of the homegrown quota. But I believe that we've already got a new homegrown midfielder in Fabio Carvalho. I believe he qualifies coming into the next season. And he looks a very, very exciting prospect. Now, we've got two other young English midfielders in the team, in Curtis Jones and Harvey Elliott. Do you feel they'll be competing for the same spot? Do you think that there'll ever be a time when there'll be more than one of them in the same Liverpool midfield? Yeah, it's it's an interesting one. I think I, I think with Elliot and Carvalho, the fact that you know they signed quite close together, it, it, they're obviously I, I, surely there's some sort of capacity to to play them both on either side of that that sort of two eight that, that Liverpool play with it with the with the six behind them. And obviously, they've got some decent competition for that to happen uh, in there. So. But yeah, you know, you'd like to think a few years down the line that both will be able to do that. With Curtis, I think he's an interesting one because he's he sort of seemed very sort of suited to that sort of playing in the almost you know eights, pushing onto tens position. You know, and he did a lot of that in the in the youth teams. But I think Klopp has spent a lot of time with him trying to turn him into a more rounded midfielder, a more you know defensively savvy, a bit more of a sort of Wijnaldum replacement. Really, at times, I think you know he's sort of taken some of the what's the uh, sort of spontaneity out of him and I, I don't mean that in a negative way I mean just to make him more of a you know a sensible midfielder someone who knows what his job is in there so you know maybe all three together is is possibly difficult to see because you'd be probably pushing pushing Curtis into the the sixth position at that point but mm-hmm. you know three really great <laughs> options who I think that over the years could could pick up a lot of minutes and all you know all three players if if Fabio Carvalho comes in and makes a similar impact that Curtis and, and Harvey have uh, at Liverpool, then uh, you know you, you could see a, a source of midfield there or three very very good options for a, for a number of years in the future, which is just extremely exciting, I suppose. It is. I mean, what you were saying there with Curtis sounds very similar to what Jose Mourinho did with Joe Cole, and it wasn't so much just that he kind of shaved off some of his more extreme edges; it just kind of made it work into a system. And if we can get that out of Curtis, that would be fantastic. Now, the interesting thing with Fabio Carvalho, James, he played a lot of time for Fulham in the number 10 role, which is a number 10 role that doesn't really exist in Klopp's Liverpool. And the former Liverpool player he's been compared to the most that I've seen is Philip Coutinho. And as we saw, Philip Coutinho didn't really fit. Now, do you see this as being something where Liverpool are going to maybe have another option in terms of formation? Or do you just think this is a young player and we will eventually be able to, as David was saying with Curtis, bring him into our system, use what is good in his game to work into our system? 
Yeah, I think probably more the latter, but you know, there is a case of options as well. I mean, you look at FSG's position now, it's kind of an awkward one in the sense that they're when they're signing young players, they're signing players for for well beyond the Klopp era. So in terms of the preferred formations, that doesn't necessarily that isn't necessarily set in stone. Of course, they'll probably be looking for as much continuity as possible when the time does come to change the manager. So whether that means they find someone who is likely to prefer the same formation, we'll see. Obviously, if Linders takes over, you'd imagine it would be much the same in terms of the shape, at least at first. But but yeah, when there's so many unknowns, I think options can't hurt. So the, the key thing in signing young players more than anything is just their ceiling and, and how talented they are. And Carvalho obviously emphatically ticks that box. And I think it will be a case of, yeah, we'll see further down the line exactly where he can fit in. But yeah, in the here and now, there's there's bound to be confidence that he can be made to work in the system one way or another, like David was saying, probably in one of those number eight roles as a, as part of that kind of rotation, whether his long-term future is returning to a kind of reinstated number 10 role at Liverpool, it, it's a nice possibility to have, but I don't think anyone will be necessarily relying on that possibility as, as the reason for signing him or anything like that. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Well, we, we, I mean, we've seen with other Liverpool players that where you start on the pitch and where you affect the pitch can be slightly different. So <clears throat> we'll have to wait and see with Fabio. I'm very excited about what's coming. And I'm sure all of our listeners and watchers will be excited about the next question coming up, David, because it's time to talk midfield reinforcements. And the two names that have been linked with us forever and ever, uh, Jude Bellingham, Aurelien Chouameni, um, these are two players who are highly coveted and aren't necessarily guaranteed to be moving this summer. Now, I'm going to ask you a two-pronged question, and you may not be able to give me an answer, but I'm going <laughs> to ask you anyway. Um, first of all, do you believe that Liverpool intend to try and buy both players this summer? Or do you think that it might be a case of trying to stagger them? knowing the way that Dortmund tried to work and not losing one more than one big star per summer? Yeah, I'd, I'd be surprised if, if, if sort of both were, were to come in at the same time. I just don't think that's how Liverpool operate. Um, and also, you know, particularly you still look at that midfield and, and even if you lose Milner this summer and you lose Oxlade-Chamberlain, you know, that it's still pretty stacked in there really in terms of numbers. You know, the idea that we're, Bring in two players who would probably be looking to to play regularly or, um, immediately to replace players who, who didn't play particularly regularly. It, it would really sort of surprise me, to be honest. Um, I think with you know, with with both these names, really, I think it's dictated by what the market looks like. Bellingham, in particular, I think is one that they would really, really like to sign if they if they could do. But I think. You know, do they think he's far enough in his development yet? In terms of, you know, I, I know it sounds ridiculous. I think he's an absolutely unbelievable player for his age. But you know, wouldn't they like to keep him in Dortmund for maybe another year just to play a little bit more football rather than coming into the demands of playing for Liverpool? And also, you know, if it gets to a point where two clubs with with sort of bottomless pockets get into a bidding war over him and, and the price starts going to eighty or hundred million, Liverpool might be able to say to themselves, look. Okay, we might not be able to get the exact Jude Bellingham, but we can get a central midfielder who can work in our system and can do this and that and all the things we need them to do for a lot less than that. And okay, may not may not be the, the star quality of a Jude Bellingham, but can you know can do similar things or, or or get close to that or close enough as they need. So yeah, it's 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 an interesting one. If 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 Bellingham would were to really push 
for a move to Liverpool and, and sort of keep his price down in that way and say, this is the only place I want to go, then I think it's definitely a deal that could be done. But, we, you know, we'll have to see what the market looks like. I think he does see, I would say that he seems to have sensible people around him advising him. He doesn't seem like the player will just go for the money or go for the, the, the biggest contract. I think he's a player who will really wants his next move to be a sporting one and a sensible one. So I think that really sort of works in Liverpool's favour in terms of in terms of possibly getting him in. Um, because, you know, what's more appealing than a, in terms of a sporting project than for a young player with that level of talent than to, to work with Jurgen Klopp in this Liverpool team? I, I can't think of any any other team who are, you know, comparable really in terms of taking the next step of your career. So hopefully we'll work in Liverpool's favour and they do definitely like him. It is a very interesting conundrum when it comes to Bellingham, James, because David's right. There are strong arguments to say that another year at Dortmund would possibly suit him better than coming to Liverpool immediately. Just, I just think in terms of the different roles that he has within that midfield, there's been a lot of talk of them giving him more responsibility next season, so that might help his development. But the flip side of that, it can't be a lot of fun playing for Borussia Dortmund right now. Bayern Munich just won their 10th title in a row by beating Dortmund quite easily. They got knocked out in the group stages of the Champions League. They didn't really make it far in the Europa League either. And he's looked a little bit testy on the pitch. I think it's fair to say there's been a few times when he's been caught arguing with his teammates. Do you see, as David say, this be something where he tries to force Dortmund's hand to move now rather than next year? Yeah, I mean, he was screaming at Nico Schultz in that clip that did the rounds, wasn't he? But um, yeah, I, I don't think he would necessarily push it through this summer. He knows how Dortmund works and he also knows that he does owe some sort of debt of gratitude to Dortmund in the sense that they've, they've taken a chance on him. Obviously, he looked very, very good in the championship, but Dortmund have elevated him to this status where all of the big clubs would love to sign him, where, you know, prices of, as David said, 80, 100 million are being bandied about. And um, I think that the project that Dortmund pitched to these young players who they sign, it is very clear and um, and they know that they will be allowed to get that big move eventually. And so if it's a case of Dortmund saying, look, we're probably losing Haaland this summer, you know, give us one more year. I think probably, again, as David said, with the good people around him, I don't imagine he would necessarily kick up a huge stink to get out this summer. Um, but I think it, it could even suit Liverpool in other ways in terms of the existing midfield profile, waiting that extra year. You look at someone like Jordan Henderson in a year's time, maybe that sort of regular starting berth will be will be dropping away. Even Thiago, you know, you'd imagine the way he plays, he has more longevity, but he will be getting on. Um, so, you know, for next season, you'd say, OK, he's a guaranteed starter whenever he's fit. But maybe the season after that, you're starting to look at ways to phase him out for the future. And, and that's when, you know, this sort of generational midfield talent would be, you know, the ideal addition. So I think that there's elements which means it would work for all parties. That sounds like a fantastic long-term plan, and I'm sure that's exactly what Liverpool are trying to do. Whether other clubs get in the way, we'll have to wait and see. Um, regarding Chiumeni, David, now the reason why the links have been so strong with him, I feel, is partly because Liverpool have currently Jordan Henderson as the Fabinho replacement, i.e. he plays number six when Fabinho wants to rest. But there are times when Jordan Henderson might be needed elsewhere within the midfield. There are times when he himself needs a rest. So I feel like having a backup six feels like another one of those strong priorities within the Liverpool camp. Do you agree? 
Yeah, maybe, I, I, but I can't say that I know sort of an awful lot about those links, to be honest. Um, you know, I know he's incredibly highly rated. I know Real Madrid are sort of in the mix by all accounts. Um, I think one thing I would say about that is it, it, it doesn't strike me as a move where he'd be willing to sort of move on to somewhere to be someone's backup. You know, I think he's maybe a little further along in his development than to, to come in and sort of sit behind Fabinho, who, you know, Touchwood has got a very good fitness record and, and plays an awful lot of games every season. So I think that that would maybe be the difficult one. I'm not, you know, again, I'd say I'm not completely au fait with how he is as a player. So I don't, you know, if he's capable of playing in other areas of the midfield and rather than just the six, if that's the case, then, you know, maybe he is a player that could appeal. And But yeah, he's a, an interesting name. I, I did just see those Real Madrid links though. And if they, they do have a vacancy at number six, maybe coming up, then, you know, maybe that, that might appeal a little more to him. <laughs> Yeah, I feel like Real Madrid may well be uh, the stumbling block to quite a few of Liverpool's plans over the course of the next few years. Not least the Champions League final, but we'll see about that. Now, uh, moving on to the forward line, this is where it gets really tasty. Um, James, first we have to mention Lord Gigovok because obviously he blessed us once again with a goal at the weekend. But it looks like his reign is coming to an end. Now, Liverpool do have five other frontline forwards as it stands, plus Takumi Minamino. So you would expect that his minutes would be easily absorbed by those players. Do you, do you agree with that? Yeah, I think so. It's, I mean, even if you wanted to directly replace Origi, I don't think you can because it's just a very unique player, one who you know hardly ever plays. And then there's just certain fixtures where it feels inevitable that he will be able to make the impact. Um, the fact that Klopp turned to him against Everton sort of summed up the kind of player he is, just like it's just there's just very specific occasions where he's very, very useful, whereas the rest of the time he's you know he's never to be seen. So, um, yeah, I don't think there is a way of replacing that. And, um, and yeah, so in terms of the kind of cut minutes, the more kind of orthodox reserve striker minutes that don't come at nil nil in a massive derby where you need to win to get your Premier League hopes alive, but the more normal role of a, of a backup striker, yeah, I think that will be absorbed by the, by the players already at the club. God bless him. It'll be, it'll, be, it'll be very sad to see him go. I genuinely will be. And as much as we joke slightly about the, the use of him, he very much sounds like Liam Neeson with his specific set of skills. Um, <laughs> he has given us something that we don't necessarily have in the profile forwards. I mean, the way that we played in the game against Everton, putting balls in up to his head and to his chest for him to distribute. There isn't really anyone else in the, in the side like that. So, David... If we are looking for new forwards and we're going to come on to the guys who may or may not be renewing their contracts, do you think that that kind of height, that kind of aerial presence is something that is important to Liverpool in the profile of forwards going forward? Yeah, it's a, it's a difficult one really because you look at you look across the squad and like you say that Liverpool don't really have anyone who, who is that similar sort of centre-forward profile really, you know, but then, you know, the last couple of times he's signed a forward, they haven't gone for someone who's like that. You know, they've ended up playing Jota as a central forward and he is incredible in the air, by the way, but, but you know, not tall, not someone you necessarily think you can play off. And, and maybe his link-up play isn't quite there at the Firmino level yet. You know, hopefully that's something he can develop. But yeah, so, you know, it doesn't. And obviously Luis Diaz is the other and obviously he's a sent out and out winger at the moment. We'd see where, what his journey takes him on. But yeah, it's, it's not a profile that Liverpool have signed regularly so you you know you don't know whether okay maybe the next forward is that 
or whether that's not something they feel like they desperately need, you know, outside of those, as you say, those extremely specific situations that Origi tends to come into. Um, it's, yeah, it's an interesting one. I think Liverpool have got a, a, some difficult decisions, I think, to make around the forward area because, you know, so much of it has been based around what they've done with Firmino and the other two, Mane and Salah, either side of him for over so many years. He's having that sort of number nine who drops into the number 10 positions at the, the false nine rather um, and then having your wingers being the main goal threat from there and obviously they're trying to mold Jota into that that centre forward who does that similar work you know do they think that's workable and, and do they think they want the forward line to have a different sort of complexion going forward do they want an out and out centre forward and maybe take some some goals away from the wingers and ask them to do different types of work it's, it's a really interesting one that I think for me knows key to it as well Maybe rather than Origi, just because for, he's he's probably the most sort of unique player in in that set. He's got a, a very sort of you know his, his skills particularly even more than Origi and just scoring against Everton are, are more based on things that other people in the squad can't really match and can't really do. So you know it, it's quite difficult to say what the profile of Liverpool's next forward design will be because that you know it isn't sort of there's no one that matches that Firmino role, that centre-forward role in that and plays it in that way, which is why Origi's had so few minutes, I suppose, over the last few seasons. So, yeah, very, very difficult to predict, I think. I think it's it's far easier to sort of say who out of that forward line will, will be on the way shortly. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. I'll ask you both this. Uh, David, you may have some more inside information. James, you may just go on gut feeling. In fact, James, I'll come to you on this first because what David says is a really good point in terms of how the forward line looks and how it plays really does depend upon who stays and who goes. And Mane has done himself a massive favour, it looks like, in recent months by adding another string to his bow and a very, very useful string as a, at that. Yeah, I mean, I'll keep my answer short because I'm eager to hear what David has to say. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, no, it's um, definitely definitely helpful. Mane's not done himself any harm to reinvent himself in that way. You were maybe thinking before that, okay, you know, this it, decline is harsh because he was still playing quite well. He was still contributing. But you're thinking, you know, it's, it's not the Mane we saw at his peak on the left wing. Maybe with that 2023 date looming, you're thinking, okay, well, Maybe it's time to move on, particularly if you can have, you know, find a buyer in the summer, make a bit of money back on him and then look to reinvest in the future. But yeah, that picture has completely changed in my view anyway. Just he's looked so good through the middle. If, if Liverpool do win any more competitions this season, a lot of it will be down to, to that switch. He's been one of the best players since coming back from the African Cup of Nations. How much of that is confidence in terms of, you know, coming back as a winner and then qualifying for the World Cup shortly afterwards. Maybe that plays a part, but I think a lot of it is tactical. He's just looked so well suited to this to this new role. Um, I suppose the knock-on effect of that is what does it mean for Firmino um, in the sense that, you know, Klopp seems to be preferring Mane as that number nine. And then you've got Jota, um, who, who was sort of the first choice before Mane made it his own. So then you're looking at Firmino and thinking, well, okay, where does he fit into the equation? So, so maybe he's potentially the most at risk of the three. And then, of course, you've got Salah, who, I mean, you know, it, it, it's well-covered ground, isn't it? But everyone wants him to sign. He wants to sign. But um, he said it's not just about the money, but I'm, I'm sure the money is 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 a significant part of it. But, um, but yeah, hopefully that all gets resolved. 
Notice he said it's not all about the money. He didn't say it's not <laughs> at all about the money. <laughs> not stupid as I'll know, I'll tell you that much. So Dave, 64 million question time. If I had to, a gun and I had to put it to your head, how do you, how many and which of the three do you think will sign? Well, so it was put to me by by someone recently that, you know, they expected sort of two of the three to, to stay. Um, and so much of it is obviously contingent on what happens with Salah's contract situation. Um, you know, he is the one out of all of the three that they obviously want to keep the most, the one that willing to, to pay the most to. Um, and, and, you know, they're desperate to get that done. You know, I, I'm sort of edging on the side that it might get done at the moment, but, it, you know, it swings wildly back and forth depending on who you, you speak to. Um, so I, I, you know, and if I was to put my neck on the line here and, and, and to pick two of the three that they would they would keep, I, I think Mane's renaissance at, at centre forward and his form recently might be key. Although you know, I would have said maybe Firmino a few months back just because of what I said about him being quite a unique player and and also he's got that personality where you think he's not demanding minutes all the time. But I think at the moment, if if, if I had to pick the two or the three, I would say Mane and Salah to stay. Uh, but that's but that's just this uh, just on today. That's my answer. So, I mean, I'm not going to press you for anything more. But the point is, is that it really is such a complex and complicated situation because each individual on their own have many pros and cons. But when you put it into the fact that you're trying to do all three at the same time and how much influence one might have on the other, it makes it harder. Almost like they shouldn't have been trying to do all three at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the story for another day. Now, in 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 the worst case scenario in which Salah isn't persuaded to stay and he does look to leave, do you believe that we will seek a summer sale rather than allowing him to run out of contract and go on a free elsewhere? And if so, do you have any idea of who we may be looking at the, the names we've seen so far, like Karim Adiemi, Cody Gakpo, even Darwin Nunes. Although that might have been a whole Liverpool playing this guy, let's make him unsettled scenario. I mean, it's difficult because Liverpool don't want to have to entertain replacing Salah, but at the same time, they're a business, so they have to. Yeah, but I, I, I don't get the impression that Liverpool are even planning for, for the idea that he's going to leave this summer. I, I just think. I think this is going to either go, you know, get resolved quite quickly, or or will drag on into next season because I just I, the idea that they can, you know, they can force it into a situation where they cash in on him. His options are quite limited in terms of where he might want to go. You know, I can't I can't really see where Salah pushes for his move, which is you know why partly why the contract uh, discussions are sort of slightly in Liverpool's favour. There's not really that many places that are appealing. Uh, as an alternative to Liverpool, apart from maybe the only other place you'd say you would go away, you know, guaranteed trophies and a, a really interesting project is Manchester City. Now, you know, if Liverpool feel the hand is forced, I don't think they're going to sell into Manchester City because that is just shooting yourself in the foot, isn't it, ultimately? So, you know, in, in terms of other places, other clubs that could, you know, put up the money and put up the package that Salah might want, you know, does he really want to go to PSG? We've seen the the scenes there as they were winning the league this week. It's it's just not a really appealing place to play your football, really. So, you know, and I think Bayern really wouldn't push out the money for a player of his age profile. They tend to sort of try and sign younger if they can do and develop. So, yeah, just not not really one I could I could sort of see. I can't see him forcing his way out this summer. I think even if even if that contract situation doesn't get sorted yet. 
No, I, I think I'm leaning that way as well. And I agree. I think the biggest card Liverpool have is is how much better a situation we're in than pretty much everyone else in world football, James. Yeah. Like, we can't, we, we, we can't understress that. And that's even before we potentially won another three trophies this season. I mean, that's the thing, isn't it? If, if we do win this quadruple and... I'm sure all of the players will get an extremely healthy bonus for doing so, James. Um, can he really say he'd be better anywhere else? Yeah, I mean, it, it doesn't hurt Liverpool's hand, does it, that they're one of the best clubs in the world? Yeah, it's, it's not a bad position to be in. Um, I, I don't necessarily think success or not in the in the quadruple quest will have a, any particular bearing. Like the fact that we're still in the hunt for it this late in the season is proof enough of the, the level Liverpool are competing at. Obviously, all of the players would would love to get even one one more of those trophies on offer. And like you say, I'm sure there would be some financial incentive that comes with it. Liverpool traditionally have, have done a kind of bonus-based um, contract structure. It's, um, but yeah, it's. It, I don't think it's going to have a bearing on the future. But yeah, absolutely, the fact that Liverpool are, are so competitive um, does mean that there are very limited options for Salah because even... Even if you generously say there are a, a couple of extra clubs there who could, who could maybe afford him, it, it's a case of whether he'd want to go. Mm-hmm. Uh, Barcelona would have to pull off some some very uh, some very creative accounting to get it done. But you know, La Liga do have that sort of one one to four rule where you know every saving they make, they can reinvest twenty five percent of it. So with if Coutinho goes, Dembele goes, maybe they could scrape the cash together somehow. But it's again, you look at it and think. I mean, why would Salah choose to go there just on a on a purely competitive footing? So, yeah, it, it does it does help Liverpool, and it, it does probably mean that there's slightly less urgency than there would normally be on that contract situation. Even though obviously we all want it resolved as soon as possible, we all need it reserved, resolved as soon as possible, James. I don't think, coupled with the the excitement that's left to go in this season, I don't think our nerves can take it. To be brutally honest, but. We've been through the squad here and it all looks rather, rather encouraging. Every single department looks like we're ready to compete next season on four fronts, whatever happens. But as it sounds and as it stands, looks like it's a very, very interesting summer ahead for Liverpool and for particular Julian Ward. All the best. Now, David, James, thank you very much for taking us through this today. I'm sure we've all enjoyed it as I'm sure you've enjoyed it out there as well. We'll see you next time. You've been listening to the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.